Ho, ho, ho. It's that time again. Welcome back to The Highway with Kyle Shutt. I hope you're hungry this week because we have Chef Brian So coming on the program talking about food, cooking in New York City, and uh, his band, Lost Becomes. We had a good old time. As always, if you like hearing me talk my head off, you can hit that subscribe button, smash that follow tab. You do whatever you have to do to make sure that you don't miss a single episode. And if you want to go one step further, you can find us at patreon.com slash the highway for a few bucks a month. You can help me keep this show going. You can even get yourself a shout out on the program like Matt Linville or Anna Seipel. Thank you all so much. You can even get a guitar lesson from me, whatever you want. Just send me a message. Let's be friends. We also have to give our sponsors Heil Sound some love, because if you like the way I sound, it's because there's a Heil in front of me. And if you want to be a sponsor on this show too, you just send me a little email. Send me a message. We'll get you hooked up. This shit is fun. Now y'all know me. I like talking, but I like eating too. Let's do things my way. The Highway. Hello. So what's going on, man? Not a whole lot. I was I was gonna I was gonna ask you. I was gonna say what's cooking, but I was like, oh, out the gates with a dad joke. Hey, I fucking love dad jokes. Your <laughs> question to ask because I was cooking a lot um, right before I hopped onto this. Uh, I was actually filming an episode of Sandwich Sunday. Nice. And uh, yeah, I just, uh, I don't know if it's Sandwich Sunday that I saw, but uh, the, the episode where you made the, the Beijing uh, cabbage and pork dumplings uh, was so good. I mean, just there's nothing I love more than a huge plate full of dumplings. You and I both, I, I lived in Beijing for so long, and uh, it's one of my favorite things on earth to eat. You know, it's like a last meal type of thing for me. <laughs> yeah, totally. Because uh, uh, I, I love Austin, which is uh, where I'm at right now, but um, we're, we have a lot of great Vietnamese, uh, a lot of great Thai food, but you know, honestly, we're pretty lacking in the in the uh, the Chinese department and uh, so every time I'm in New York I always make it a point to eat as many uh, Shanghai uh, pork soup dumplings as I possibly can <laughs> well now you have one more person to hit up when you come into town because I will take places <laughs> I would love that man so uh yeah Brian so welcome to the highway um dude this is so rad because uh, you're obviously um an up-and-coming chef uh, getting are, are you a celebrity chef status yet? I, I guess you, you whoop Bobby Flay's ass uh, oh, on his own I mean, show. So. If you were to ask me, I would say, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Do my thing, and if people find it cool, you know, that's awesome. Uh, but I've been, I've been doing this for a long time is all I can say. I've been at the, doing this professionally for 17 years now. Uh, is, is, is cooking one of those things you kind of just uh, stumbled into just because you like to eat or, or was it a thing you like you actually went to school for because you uh, it was it was a passion of yours that you wanted to pursue professionally? Uh, the, the right answer would be a bit of both. I um, I always loved eating. I always loved cooking from a very young age. But um, yeah, so a bit of both. I always loved eating. I always loved um, watching cooking shows. I, one of my first memories as a child is watching julia child on pbs you know her cooking show the the french the, i think it was called a french chef but um i also did accidentally fall into it because i needed a summer job and i got a job as a dishwasher at a pastry factory nice and i ended up liking it a lot uh and i was supposed to attend john jay school of criminal justice 
Um, but after I kind of got a taste for the kitchen life, no pun intended, hey. uh, I ended up sticking with it and uh, saying goodbye to a life of uh, law enforcement and decided to pursue a life in kitchens. You made the right move. It's really funny that you you brought that up because I actually I I love the idea of cops and detectives like uh, as like a a device in like fiction. You know what I mean? Like I love cop stories and and like uh, detective books and gumshoes things like that. But man, do I not like cops very much? Yeah, you know, it was um yeah, I I for me it was very much a uh me wanting to be a cop was very much a product of what I was watching on television at mm-hmm. the time. I thought it was like I thought it was the closest thing I could get to being Batman. Well, <laughs> if I'm going to be completely honest. <laughs> that's amazing. But uh the the chef life, that's uh that's awesome. Uh because uh, I I love cooking myself. I grew up in a house where um we didn't cook ever. And, um, so when I found myself on my own, when I was 17, uh, I got really tired of eating, you know, Taco Bell and, uh, just Subway and shit. And I just wanted to learn how to cook, but I had no idea what to do. And, um, I got a, um, I started living in a co-op and, uh, I got a job in the kitchen there, uh, doing kitchen prep. So at least I learned how to kind of like prep veg, but I still couldn't actually cook anything. So when I finally moved out of the co-op and on my own, um, I got cable and uh, that was right when the food network started playing, it, you, you could watch Emerald Live, Rachel Ray, and Good Eats kind of like all in a row. It was like a three-hour block that they would play or something like that. And um, I just I watched yeah Emerald Lagasse and Rachel Ray and Alton Brown every day for two years. And at the end of it, I could pretty much cook. You know, it still took a lot of trial and error and stuff like that. But um, this is one of those things I always prided myself on because I just kind of had to teach myself how to do it. Uh, kind of like music. And, and um, I, I found that like being in a band or at least writing songs and, and cooking there's a lot more similarities uh, creatively than um, a lot of people might think you know especially like in a one pot dish it's a lot like a song you got to start you know with your bass and you got to build your layers of flavor just like you you know start with your you know rhythm section and start adding on like melodies that like kind of play off each other and stuff so and i thought that was interesting because you're also a musician uh in your band uh lost becomes is uh got a record coming out soon so yeah i kind of wanted to pick your brain on what you thought like the the similarities in in cooking and and music are dude i think i need to hang up right now because you just stole all the words out of my mouth <laughs> so, um as far as parallels of cooking and music 100 percent. i i i always bring up those parallels uh when i'm working in kitchens i mean how often do you find yourself when you're describing something in music you know with with kitchen ag- adjectives right um you know, too many cooks in the kitchen or, you know, uh, you know, uh, I, you know, maybe this song needs a, maybe that solo needs a little bit of this flavor, right? We always say, put a little pepper on it. That's what we yeah, say. Put a little, <laughs> spice it up a little. You know, how often do we use those references? And I find myself doing the vice, you know, vice versa, where I'll describe a dish as almost like a symphony. And I'll say, you know, okay, well, as I'm taking this bite, if I take all the components from this dish and put it into one bite, um, wow, you know, I'm tasting this and then it progresses to this and it goes to there. And oh, holy cow, what's that finish there? Oh, I, I didn't see that coming. Um, very much like a well-written song. Or that, maybe or a, saying like that, that's the icing on the cake right there. So there's so many, yeah, little, uh, uh, whatever you want to call them, colloquialisms that we don't think about. We just say it just because it's like just already there in our consciousness. 
hundred percent, hundred percent. And, um, it's, uh, it's, uh, it, uh, I don't know what, what can you say? It's like one of the most beautiful things about life, right. Is finding those bridges between art forms. And then you come to realize like how, how things are much more closely related than, than sometimes, uh, we initially think, mm-hmm. you know, viewing or listen. Also, you know, the, the, especially the kind of band that, that I'm in, you know, we smoke a lot of weed. And when you smoke a lot of weed, you get hungry. <laughs> you know, so after we play a show or, uh, you know, like uh, got done practicing or whatever like that, it's always time to go eat. And it's always, uh, you know, we always, I, I, I had a lot of fun just especially when we're in the studio making albums. Like, you, you know, you can't don't have really time to cook because you were in the studio for like 12 hours today. So we would always kind of like try to bop around and find different uh awesome foods to eat one of the, the my favorite things that we ever found was in uh, baltimore maryland there was this place that had a, the taj mahal pizza it was like a like a paneer like spinach curry pizza it was one of the best things i've ever eaten i i, I miss it so much i think about it often well you know i was saying earlier that i was cooking all day but i ended up not eating anything so once you mention paneer and spinach it's one of my favorite things to eat. you're gonna hear me say that a lot too by the way it's my favorite thing to eat um, but now my mouth is drooling. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, can I interview you for a second? Absolutely. You know, on the road, I, I know I haven't done an extensive amount of touring. I, I've done minimal amounts of touring. Uh, but on the road, you know, I, I know it can be really hard to get a meal. So what's like, how do you go about it? I know there are some bands that they bring the crock pot. There are some bands that just, you know, eat, eat from the gas station. (laughs) There are some bands that swear by Taco Bell. Like what's your routine? What's your go-to is, is, and is your routine the same, uh, differ from anyone else in the band? It's been like, we've been touring forever. You know, I've been hopping in and out of vans for 25 years and I've, seen it done many different ways I've done it many different ways uh, we've definitely done the tour bus thing where you know we've got a George Foreman grill and we're just like cooking up paninis you know uh, all night and stuff like that or uh, you know maybe one of us bought a crock pot and there's just, just always a soup going or something like that but then there's always that time of fatigue when you, you're just so tired and you're, you're just going to eat Waffle House again because it's the only thing there and <laughs> you just don't feel like uh, seeking anything out but that being said whenever we get to a city where there's definitely a a food item that like I I have to have, you know, like I always go out of my way to get it. Um, we're, I I could live on pho, you know, absolutely. So there's definitely like cities where like my favorite pho spots are or my favorite sushi spots or something like that. But like I said, um, on on the last tour that we did, um, it was was rather cush. Uh, We were out with Primus and uh, they had catering every day. So we were kind of like living on catering. And also I try not to eat late at night anymore. So, you know, that it's saving myself a lot of calories there by not just like huffing pizza at midnight every single night on tour, you know? So there's, there's so many different ways you can go about it. I've seen some bands that, um, just do Uber eats all the time, wherever they go, just placing, uh, you know, massive orders at like sushi restaurants and stuff like that and bringing it to the venue. And I, I don't know, there's just, there's, there's so many different answers to that question. Really, expensive. really good question. It does get expensive. Bands spend so much money when they don't have to. It's ridiculous. Um, it's, you know, I, it, just uh, to shed some light on it, if, if you're in a band and you're going on tour, you can almost 
guarantee that the highest amount of money that you're going to be able to net is about 40% of what you made. You're going to spend about 60% just of like being out there, you know, but some bands, I'm not going to name names, but you know, they net about 10% and they spend about 90% of their money on the road. And it just blows my mind just because like being in a band, it's like the wild west. Like everybody does it differently. There's not like a rule book or like a, uh, you know, a guild, an organization that like, you know, uh, sets mandates that you have to follow or anything like that. Completely unregulated, which is also kind of why I like it. Yeah, true that, true that. You know, uh, Lost Becomes is, uh, you know, we're doing weekend runs right now mainly. We all work full-time gigs and, you know, Lost Becomes. We take, we, we're kind of, um, we're taking Lost Becomes as seriously as we can possibly take it, but still keeping it part-time, so to speak. So, um, but we definitely intend to do a longer run in the future. And I'm, you know, I've been devising in my mind how I'm going to pull this off because number one, I'm very cheap. And number two, uh, it, that's like the bane of my existence. So I've been trying to like figure out, okay, how am I going to make a meal? Not necessarily every meal every day of the week, but how can I at least one meal a day um, do a home cooked meal? Uh, because, you know, that that food is going to be fundamentally better than anything I can find on the road short of going to a restaurant. Absolutely. You got to uh, get you a little Weber grill. And uh, get ready to be just grilling every day. That's that's the easiest way to do it. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna take that as point number one. Like that's that's where the pyramid's gonna build from. <laughs> Man, uh, yeah, that, that's uh, I'm I'm excited for you uh, hitting the road like that. It's uh, there's nothing like it, and um, it's it gets addicting, and uh, it's it's so much different than it used to be. I mean, it, everything's always changing, but uh, especially in this kind of post COVID world, um, it's just you're making the right move because like it's it's harder than ever to rely on uh restaurants being open or even just uh, like nobody updated their google hours once the pandemic hit so you can't even rely on like the internet anymore to tell you if this place is going to be open or if it's permanently closed or anything like that so yeah you're way better off trying to at least make your own food when you can I did not think about that. Holy cow, you are a hundred percent right. I can't tell you how many times not touring I'm like, oh, let's go mm-hmm. to this rush close but you know, on Google, it says it's open till whatever hours, because obviously they didn't update um, their hours of operation during, you know, during uh, the pandemic. But, yeah, I did not think about that. So and, and yeah, if maybe- they didn't do it in New York, then I, they did not do it in South Carolina. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Point. Point very well taken. Well, I guess there's always Taco Bell, right? Oh, God. <laughs> I don't just like this chill went up my, my spine when you said that. Um, yeah, New York's, uh, it's, it's a lot different now. It's, uh, I've, I've said it before, but it's the city that sleeps. Um, yep. it's, it's hard to get a, a late night meal in Brooklyn. Now. I never thought I would say that. It's, um, it's, have you been back to New York recently? We were just there about a month ago. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. So yeah, you've been here fairly recently. I mean, I'm, I will say it's the most alive that I've seen it, uh, in, in the last 20 months. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brooklyn has I feel Brooklyn has definitely like the outer boroughs have definitely fared better um, than Manhattan. Um, the outer boroughs being, you know, I'm mainly saying uh, Brooklyn and uh, Queens. I'm from Queens and I hang out a lot in Brooklyn. Uh, you said you mentioned uh, Brooklyn. So I'm assuming did you guys play Vitus? Uh, no, we played the music hall. And then the next night we played the Beacon uh, on the Upper West Side. Oh. Right on, right on. Um, yeah, Manhattan's chill yeah. now. Uh, I, I never thought I would say it's uh, New York's chill. It's it's not nearly as crazy as it used to be. 
I, I definitely feel, uh, I definitely see like office buildings starting to open up again. There's definitely life starting to, you know, the, the life, that old energy of New York is slowly coming back. It's not back yet, but it is slowly coming back. It's definitely different from what it used to be. You say you're from Queens. Uh, you ever go to John Brown Barbecue? Uh, I live like 10 minutes away, um, and I have not been. I've been meaning to go. I keep meaning to go, but, um, you know, like my wife's not a big meat eater. Mm-hmm. Uh, so every time I try to convince her to go to a barbecue spot, she's like, eh. <laughs> It's all about the sides. Their, their, their cornbread casserole is amazing. Their mac and cheese. Is, it, it's like a Kansas City bar. It, it's weird. I don't know why a Kansas City barbecue place is like right there in the middle. Of, I think it's like Sunnyside or somewhere around there. I can't remember exactly where. Long Island City. Um, but, yeah, you got to check it out. I, I, I've been meaning to. You know who else told me about that place forever? Every time I see him, um, uh, Chris Christie. Oh yeah, um, show he's he he fucking loves. I, I think the team is the Browns, right? I'm sorry uh-huh. if I. No, no, no. Yeah, the Cleveland or that's that's Cleveland, no, or the Kansas City Chiefs. Okay, okay. So I, I'm not a sports guy, obviously. So, um, but that's like his go-to spot. Yeah, I but, met him there one time. At, like, I think Ronnie, the limo driver, was outside waiting for him, like too. Oh, no. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I've been meaning to go, uh, definitely somewhere I have to make time, make time for. That's okay. Cause I mean, you know, fetish is great. Don't get me wrong, but, uh, it's just different. It's just a different kind of place. Yeah. Like, like I was saying, uh, it's hard to get a bite in, um, in Williamsburg now. Like uh, my, one of my favorite spots to go is the Commodore cause, uh, their fried <laughs> chicken plate was one of my favorites, but I guess their kitchen caught on fire and they just never rebuilt it. So it's just a bar now. I was, I was so disappointed the last time I went in there. <laughs> um, yeah, dude. I mean, uh, next time you guys play in New York City, definitely hit me up, and uh, I'll, I'll tell you a few late night spots to hit up. Uh, there's a few good ta- taco trucks there, maybe a little bit out of the way, but you know, I I think it's worth it. That's all that matters. Is yeah, the, the late night thing is funny because, uh, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, maybe it's not true for everybody, but I always found that all my years of touring, that the three kind of people that usually gravitate towards each other um, are musicians and chefs. And strippers, because <laughs> we all keep really weird hours, and we all give so much of ourselves for other people's enjoyment, and we all love good food, and we all usually have some disposable income, or at least access to you know good food and stuff like that, so I don't know, it's, I, I can't tell you how many times I've ended up uh, you know, at a late night restaurant with a chef and a stripper. Uh, just hanging out, having the best time, but uh, I don't know, is that is there any truth to that? <laughs> oh, no, there's tons of truth to that, 100%. I mean, I have not uh, worked the you know a restaurant um, for the last 20 months, basically. Um, but for me, it wasn't so much of a, you know, wasn't so much of a sad story in that I actually left the restaurants to open up my own project. So I was kind of in this R&D phase anyway. Um, working with it, you know, I, I found an investor. And um, so I kind of had my thing set and I wasn't planning to get back into the kitchens until I had done all my R&D for this new project. And then the pandemic hit and it kind, it kind of like ended up working out for myself. But when I was working in the restaurants, you know, yeah, I mean, I'd get out, con- you know, normally uh, uh, midnight every night. Mm-hmm course like you're leaving with all your co-workers and you're like oh just one beer just one <laughs> you, know, happens. you know before you know it 
you made five new friends at the bar, whether it's other chefs or, you know, other, you know, musicians and or strippers. Um, for me, it was mainly other musicians uh, because the place where I was working very late was close, was really close by both Irving Plaza and Gramercy Theater. Nice. Uh, I would often have bands over to the restaurant, but, you know, I, I would try to, uh, often leave early, catch the show, and hang out afterwards. Um, sometimes even bringing them back to the restaurant after it's closed already, and you know, fucking party until they had to uh, hop on the bus. <laughs> That's where the real fun happens: hanging out in the restaurant after hours. Yeah, just smoking weed, <laughs> eating ribs. <laughs> oh my god, I-, I haven't done that for quite some time now. But um, some of the best times of my life, for sure. Absolutely. Well, man, I gotta, um, I gotta pick your brain about what it's like being on a food competition show because it's it's one of those things where, like, I mean, you know, lots of people know how to cook and stuff like that, and then, uh, but one one thing I found, especially like if I'm going on vacation or something like that, and I want to make my favorite dish wherever we're staying because there's a whole kitchen in there and stuff like that. Like, there's always so much uh, difference than when you're making it in your own you know, little controlled environment that like anything can go wrong. So I always have so much sympathy for people on the, the food competition shows because like you're outside or something, the humidity is different. You got an electric burner instead of a gas burner. You got like, there's so much that could go wrong. Like how do you, um, how do you, you know, still pull it off and whoop Bobby Flay's ass? I just, <laughs> I just want to know. <laughs> because one of the first things you said was the humidity is different. And my goodness, how much of a fucking difference the humidity, humidity can make in your food. Mm-hmm. Um, something a lot of people don't realize yeah it's it's extremely stressful i mean even for a chef just to work at a different kitchen let's say it you know it doesn't happen at least it hasn't happened often to me but you know if i go to a friend's restaurant and help them for a day it's usually fucking fucking stressful because i don't know anything is you know um uh, the setup's completely different and you're you don't really have your legs underneath you so to speak um, when it comes to competition shows, it's a test of a few things. Number one is like, I think the main test is your nerves um, because you're under so much pressure in a brand new environment. Um, you're, you have a ton of eyes watching you. Mm-hmm. Cameramen, producers, and you know, uh, assistant producers, and assistant this and that, and wardrobe and makeup and all kinds of fucking people. Uh, you just, you're just under a microscope. You don't want to look stupid, right? So you, you get self-conscious. Um, so number one is nerves. And then, of course, number two is figuring out where the fuck everything is. And for both Chopped and Beat Bobby Flay, they take you uh, they take you around the kitchen and they say, okay, this is where this is, that's where. And it's like a 10, 15-minute tour at most, right? And you make all these mental notes. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Well, you know, Kyle, you're a musician, and I mean, do you remember what your first few shows were, right? You're, <laughs> oh, yeah. In your bedroom, in front of your mirror, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this move, and when I bend this note, I'm going to make that face, and blah, 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 and then the day happens, and like ten, you like blink your eyes a couple times, and oh, shit, it's over. Mm-hmm. Right. Like and and you, you played 15 percent faster than you were supposed to. It's the same exact thing being put on that stage, um, uh, the so-called stage for competition shows. 
Um, the only difference is, you know, typically kitchen workers don't get put on a stage like that. Right. When you're so exposed. Um, so I could definitely say that Beat Bobby Flay went a lot better for me, obviously, because I won than Chop did because I was so nervous for Chopped. I was just, you know, I, 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 I basically um, like my hands didn't stop shaking the entire mm-hmm. time. I, I could see like it almost being like a it's cooking is like very meditative like especially if you're in your own little zone and you know where everything is you can turn your brain off and that's like kind of when when I have my best shows is when my my brain just shuts off and I don't think I just do you know so I can only imagine like having all the lights on you like working with like you know you open your chopped basket and all they gave you was like a hammer and a, a squid tentacle or something like that <laughs> you know what I mean you're like what do I do is is it really um like you, you get absolutely no hints or anything like that about what's in the basket right 100% legit is that's you, crazy. you not know what the fuck's going on. Beat Bobby Flay is a little different. First round, there's a secret ingredient and you have to make a dish with that. You don't know what that ingredient is. The second round, uh, so you do a first round with another chef. Whoever wins goes on to face Bobby. The advantage the challenger gets is they get to pick the dish. So in that scenario, you do know what you're going to be making. because, And that's the advantage Bobby gives you. For chopped, when that basket's put there, you do not have a fucking clue what's inside. <laughs> yeah. So for, for my, uh, you know, I lost chopped, and I was the first one chopped as well, which really pissed me off. Um, but yeah, when that basket was in front of me uh, and I opened it up, my heart sank. It, it was just I had no idea what the fuck to do, and um, I on, I honestly ended up making a half decent dish. It's just that I forgot to salt it. <laughs> Ooh. That's I killer. didn't salt. Totally fucked it up. Yeah. Do you salt? Are you, are you of the French uh, uh, school where where you salt like salt is the last thing you do, or do you salt as you go? I salt as I go. Uh, main. I I basically salt at every stage um, for the most part. Uh, it, it depends. You know, it really depends on what I'm cooking. Um, it, like the technique will pretty much change. But I am uh, a Western trained chef. I, I went to the Culinary Institute of America in upstate New York by Hyde Park. Um, so, yeah, I do have a, a French culinary background. That's awesome. Do, do, is it is it sort of like culinary boot camp where like they just you're just in there making like stock for a week and then until you like perfect it or something like that? They just like keep adding on it or something like that. I, I've, I've always wanted to, to know what goes into the culinary academy. Oh, yeah, so there, there are many different types of schools. So like a trade or a vocational school is usually like a nine-month program. Um, but the CIA is the two-year associate's degree program, and they also have a bachelor's program is there. No, I'm not being paid by CIA to sell that to anybody. But um, <laughs> I, did, I did the associate degree program, uh, and it's basically, yeah, it's two, two years um, you learn a ton of stuff. You learn everything from, you know, kitchen math to um, product knowledge. So learning about different vegetables and proteins. There's butchery class. There's uh, um, seafood class where you go over all the different types of seafood. And there's no way you're going to cover every single thing. But you 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 get a, um, a pretty comprehensive knowledge of the main items for mm-hmm. sure. It, does it ever do you ever think about because like I, I I look through cookbooks uh, as a hobby sometimes if I go to a used bookstore or I, I do enjoy watching sort of more um, uh, cooking shows with like more of a historical bent um, but it, does it ever blow your mind like how 
poorly people ate up until like not that far in the past. You know what I mean? <laughs> like some of these recipes from like the 60s and 70s you're reading are just like, good lord, this is what you people ate? <laughs> um, for sure. But also I think the biggest difference was there was a lot more portion control back then. Mm. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure there was a lot, a lot better portion control. I think, you know, um, I, how old are you, Kyle? Uh, 38. Okay. So we're basically the same age. I'm 37. Um, so our parents, you know, the, the boomer era, you know, it was all about getting your money's worth. Right. Mm-hmm. So I remember my dad, it's actually to this day, you know, we have family dinner basically every week. My dad still to this day wants to go out to eat at a buffet. <laughs> <laughs> all about that quantity it drives me absolutely nuts but um yeah it it it, yeah the food was definitely very rich but i think there was a concept of you know being a little smarter with your portions Hmm. that's interesting yeah i uh also like you mentioned julia child uh earlier just i remember watching her make dishes and they just looked like shit you know what I mean? Like she's just like just slopping shit on the plate and everything. It's um, it's funny how like the internet really changed the way. Like now your food has to, to look like so beautiful that you know it's almost like they put so much effort into making it look pretty that like they forget that it's supposed to taste really good as well. Yeah, I, I can't tell you um how many times um like the key is to have it do both look pretty and and taste good too mm-hmm. right with your eyes first. It's the first sense that gets engaged other than smell, depending on what kind of smells the food is giving off. But um, it, it, it uh, yeah, this modern era of social media has definitely spawned a lot of like food for show. And I can't tell you how many times I've um, it's like you know, as soon as like seven, eight years ago, I think is when Instagram was really starting to happen or uh, yeah, something like that. Um, I was making dishes that like didn't necessarily taste very good, but looked absolutely beautiful. Mm-hmm. And that crazy. I, I ended up never putting them on the menu um, because I couldn't stand by it. But yeah, th- there's definitely an element of that. And sometimes, you know, that shit like uh, steaks covered in fucking gold leaf or something like that. I mean, it's 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 all totally, totally gimmicks. Maybe the steak is the best steak in the world. I don't know. But. Um, yeah, I, I see through that shit pretty quickly. Yeah, totally. Well, was was music like one of those passions too that like you just kind of always wanted to get into that like cooking was just your job and that was kind of like all of a sudden you started getting a lot better at cooking than you thought you would and so music took a back. Or I just I wanted to ask like how you yeah just wanted to start a band and like got into music because like most of the musicians that I talk to like you know it's just you just if you want to make it in music you just give up everything i'm talking everything you burn every bridge like every relationship you're in just like just goes on the back burner haha <laughs> get it yeah, and uh, uh <laughs> but yeah what um how did you get into music and like wanting to play so i um have been playing guitar longer than i've been a chef i've been playing it i'm 37 now i've been playing guitar since i was 13 years old i didn't start doing i didn't start cooking professionally until i was 20 so i've been writing i've been playing and writing music for way longer i was always an artistic kid i thought i was going to be a comic book artist but uh, man um i don't know what your listeners are going to think of me but the band that really like wanted me to grab a guitar was during the whole new metal movement yeah specifically west borland of limp biscuit you know like i just loved his theatrics you know his crazy costumes and stuff like that and um 
that was what like kind of pushed me over the edge to like, oh, I actually want to try this thing. And I should also mention, actually, I wanted to be a bass player, but it, it ended up becoming guitar. Um, and I basically dropped everything for music. But when I was 13, turning 14, I was, you know, wasn't the greatest kid and wasn't doing very well in school. Um, and my dad brought up the idea of me doing an exchange program in Beijing, China for a year. And I, w I jumped at it. I was like, oh, I would love to get out in New York and see the motherland and, um, you know, see, get, get a closer connection to my culture. So what that ended up doing was like insulating me because I, I didn't grow up speaking the language. My mom's Korean, my dad's Chinese, and they spoke shitty English in the house. So I grew up speaking <laughs> shitty English. <laughs> uh, in Beijing, yeah. is it uh, Mandarin that they speak? Mandarin, yes, it's Mandarin. Um, but I didn't speak any Mandarin. So when I first got there, it was extremely lonely. And I just kind of after school locked myself in a room and I had a couple of tab books, specifically Metallica and Pantera. And that's all I would do is just learn these riffs and do my best with the solos and, you know, play the CD back and over and over again and trying to figure out, you know, how to play along to them. Uh, so that time in Beijing really like caused me to hone down on my craft, so to speak. And I actually have Beijing uh, mainland China's um, first independent touring metal band. It was a band called hollow. I was, you know, 17 when wow. I started. And, uh, and I started it with two German kids that, uh, you know, th their parents like worked for the German embassy. Uh, the vocalist was, uh, Chinese and the bassist was Chinese and we, we did really well for ourselves. We, we basically started touring culture. Um, it, it's very cheap to get from town to town in China via uh, high speed rail. Mm -hmm. So that's what we did. We, you know, much like Metallica in their younger years would hop into a van and go from town to town. We did the next best thing because we couldn't rent a vehicle in China. We put all our equipment on our backs, felt really bad for the drummer, but we <laughs> threw all our equipment on our backs and um, went from town to town via high-speed rail. And after that, I mean, every band started doing it. Um, so I was always into metal. I was always playing in bands. Uh, I spent six years in China. When I came back to China, though, the catalyst, and like this will turn into a four-hour podcast, so I'm not going to go into detail, but... Uh Eventually, I, uh, you know, I, I had some really I developed some really bad drug issues. And the first time and the last time I ever tried heroin was the day that I decided to move back to America, move mm -hmm. back to this. Um, so I came back and I kind of left music behind for the most part um, because I wanted to, quote unquote, grow up. And throughout my whole life, uh, my, not my whole life, but actually, no, most of my life, you know, I was always artistic, wanted to be a comic book artist, wanted to be a musician, play in a heavy metal band. My dad is a mechanic and, you know, he always stressed learning a skill that utilizes your hands. Uh, and I finally, like, decided to, you know, take that advice. And, um, you know, although I was originally going to go to John Jay, you know, college, um, when I got exposed to kitchen life, I was like, oh, this is my opportunity to learn a skill that uses my hands. Uh, and that's exactly what I did. And I, I told myself, you know what? 
if I if I master this skill, I can do whatever the fuck I want later on. So music was kind of put on the back burner. I did play in bands. I even played in a Christian rock band at one point. Um, I did a lot of projects along the way, but nothing super serious. So Lost Becomes is like kind of that project that where all the pieces kind of felt right. I had the chemistry with everyone in the band. Um, you know, I was older and a bit more mature and so is everyone else in the band. So, you know, we get shit done, you know, because we take it seriously, but we also don't take it personally. I don't know if that makes sense. No, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Cause like the, uh, a lot of bands, especially when you start real young, like the band is the only thing that matters, like screw everything else. You know what I mean? Like this, you have to make the show and everything. So I, that's, that's a really awesome thing that y'all have that perspective where you can just like, you know, like just get shit done and don't take it personally. It's a, it's, it's a business at the end of the day. Yeah. hundred percent. And that's, you know, I, uh, there, you know, the joke within the band is I treat it like my kitchens, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm very much like the driving force behind the band, but it's just because like, I, I don't know any other way to do it, but I, I'm a fucking busy guy. So, um, I don't have time to play around and mess around. Like, yes, I'm here to have fun, but I want to maximize my time. And if we're going to play a show, let's play a really good fucking show. And if we put out a music video, let's put out a really good music. Video. Like all it, all it takes is more effort on our part. Right. Um, Absolutely. And that's so fucking cool, man, that you're, you're able to like come back after all that time and like really do it right again. That That's, that's admirable. Cheers, man. Thank you. Appreciate that, man. That means a lot coming from you. Um, and, and yeah, that's the whole idea of Lost Becomes. It was not intended. We, we did not intend to take it as seriously as we have up till now, but it just ended up working that way because, you know, we were all able to identify that all the quote unquote ingredients. Hey, another dad. Hey. joke. All the ingredients were there that if we just were patient and put in a little bit more effort, um, you know, we could we could probably, you know, make a little noise with this band. And we're, we're very proud of the music. Hell yeah, that's awesome. Well, I always ask my musician guests if they want to play a track. Do you have any uh, uh, songs that you'd want to play off the, the upcoming record? Yeah, please. Uh, that would be amazing. So we just released a new track called Healing. Uh, it's available for streaming. But the thing to really watch is the music video. So after you, watch, after you listen to the song on, on your preferred um, streaming service, Look, look up our video, um, Lost Becomes Healing, on YouTube. Uh, we have a lot of great cameos from, you know, friends I've made over the years, uh, whining and dining at my restaurants. Uh, you know, we have Jesse Leach, Ben Weinman. Uh, we have Tim Howley uh, from Fit for an Autopsy, Justin Wang from Jinx, who also has his own uh, incredible YouTube show. Uh, so, yeah, check it out. Healing from Lost Becomes. Awesome, man, dude! Thank you so much, Brian, for like sitting down and talking with us. This was uh, this was super fun. I, I I always love getting um multiple kind of points of view from the, the entire in entertainment industry. And um yeah, the the kitchen is just one of those uh just essential parts of uh, of any touring outfit. And um yeah, just uh, thank you so much for coming on, man. Yeah, man, my pleasure. Thank you for having me, man. Absolutely, and uh, I'm definitely hitting you up next time we're in New York. It's probably gonna be like April or May, something like that. Okay, please do. Please do. And you know what? Before we uh, hang up, uh, do you want a signature sandwich? I would love <laughs> I a signature sandwich. <laughs> signature reverend guitar. Um, but maybe now it's time for you to get a signature sandwich. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. If, <laughs> is there a way we could make a bon me into a, a panini or something? I don't know. <laughs> so, uh, 
uh, what's going to happen is I'm going to send you a questionnaire. You fill out the questionnaire, and based on those answers, I create a signature sandwich for you. The hell um, fucking yeah. I have a YouTube show called Sandwich Sunday, new episode every Sunday. It's awesome sandwiches inspired by the most unlikely of people. And Kyle, you deserve a fucking signature sandwich. Well, cheers to that, man. I really appreciate it. Hell yeah, I can't wait. Tuning into the highway this week, a big shout out to Reverend Guitars, Railhammer Pickups, and Earthquaker Devices. If you liked what you heard, you can follow where you can follow, subscribe where you can subscribe, and if you want to go one step further, you can support us on Patreon at The Highway with Kyle Shutt. For a few bucks a month, you can help us keep this party going, get early access to next week's episode, and even get yourself a shout out. <laughs>